Thanks for listening to the AI and IT Ops podcast brought to you by New Relic. This is Episode 2, The Full Interview. For all things application performance management, AI ops, digital transformation, and more, check out www.apmdigest.com. Our guest today is Jonah Cowell, CTO at Logs.io, who previously served as a research VP at Gartner. And now, your host of the podcast, industry veteran, consultant, and analyst, Andy Thurai. Welcome to AI and IT ops podcast. I am Andy Thurai, founder and principal at thefieldcto.com where we provide unbiased emerging technology advisory services. Just a few days ago, I was discussing with Jonah Cowell, CTO at Logs.io, about how much of AI ops is a hype and how much is a reality. He had some good viewpoints, so I thought I'll invite him to our podcast to talk about it. Jonah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be here and enjoyed our previous discussions. My name is Jonah Cowell, CTO at Logs.io. And I have various responsibilities in the company from uh, product strategy, technical partnerships, developer relations, open source community, and I own a couple of our product initiatives and partnerships as well. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Great to have you. So I'll start off with the conversation and asking you how much of the AI ops you think is a hype and how much is the reality? So I would say that AI ops technologies provide a lot of benefits to organizations, but the aspirational goals of where this should be going and how much AI is actually in these technologies is still pretty elusive. So although they sound like great technologies that are going to save immense amount of time, they probably only deliver partially on that whole goal, but they'll continue evolving. And, you know, I think they will provide increasingly more value over time. Okay. So let me ask you something almost like a back to the future movies question. Let's talk about the past, present, and the future of AI ops. Where was it? Where is it now? And where do you think it's going? So I actually had the privilege of being a gardener when we were creating this topic. A good friend of mine and colleague, Colin Fletcher, created this and sort of the thinking behind why this whole thing was emerged was that when you look at the traditional IT operations analytics or ITOA or ITOA market, that market in itself was really focused on applying big data technologies to monitoring data. And what we saw was that new techniques in AI and ML were emerging and the big data platforms were also becoming a lot more mature where we sort of saw this ability to interconnect operations, service management and automation together. And AI ops was essentially the thing that was going to link these pieces together. Now, there's a lot of really difficult challenges with doing that because the interpretation of the data and the sources of the data are very diverse. And this makes it hard to create that closed loop between automation, service management, and obviously the monitoring and observability. So it's started from humble beginnings and it has a long, long way to go before the AI is really AI and not some machine learning applied to the problem. 
That's true. I mean, you know, when the underlying technologies improve, so does the solution set. Even about five years ago or 10 years ago, this is not even a possibility because the data storage capabilities or data processing capabilities or the amount of data you can create or the models that you can create out of that all were very limited primarily because of the storage and uh, compute capabilities. Yeah, and also a big area of innovation in the last five years or so has obviously been streaming analytics too, which is a really critical component of being able to make these things work at the speed at which data is being consumed today. That's just going to increase also, which makes this problem even more challenging. In the past, it was always about the analytics and the insights all about historical data, about the data that was collected days or even weeks earlier. There is no capability or even possibility of using the real-time on the streaming data at all. But now, at least you are able to look into, get into that and make a decision somewhat somewhat quickly. We are not there at the real-time, but at least we are close enough. Yeah, for sure. The next topic, I want to talk to you really about the open telemetry. There is obviously a consortium and, and it has become the second largest project on uh, CNCF, gaining a lot of traction. Yet some vendors are not ready to adopt it because they are worried that they'll become replaceable if they, if they open everything up. Do you think it'll gain momentum or it'll die a slow death like many other open initiatives? I can tell you that there are very motivated teams, uh, especially in the large cloud providers, whether you look at Microsoft, Google, Amazon, that really want to make this thing a reality. And obviously, there's a lot of monitoring vendors that are participating. You have pretty large engineering teams coming from Splunk and New Relic and Datadog, and then lots of contributors like uh, folks at my company at Logs.io, at Sumo Logic. These are all competitors, but realistically, all of us don't want to have to build data collection and instrumentation technologies because we're all spending vast sums of money to try to do the same thing. I'll say at Logs.io, we don't have any proprietary data collection. The company has never invested in that because we believe in open source. But I can tell you from my past at AppDynamics, for example, we had a large engineering contingent that would build agents and build the agents to support various technologies and frameworks. And this is the same thing that every company has been doing. So by opening all of the data collection, these companies can now focus on analytics. They can focus on AI ops. There's only so much money that you can spend in engineering. And if we focus it on solving the really difficult analytics problems, it just benefits all the users. So everyone is behind this. You've seen the open sourcing of obviously Datadog agents in the past and most recently open sourcing of New Relics agents. And this is because they want the community to own this technology and build the best data collection possible. And it should support every vendor in terms of the back end. So that's really what's happening in the industry. It's really exciting. And it's just gonna make everything better for users and allow the vendors to innovate, especially in AI ops. On that note, what do you think some of the vendors that's uh, hoarding their data, not sharing with others to improve the common good? For example, I don't want to name names, but if uh, vendor, <laughs> vendor A is sensing an attack in their network, wouldn't it be better for others to know and be prepared or 
jointly work together? Because after all, they could be next, right? Yeah, I mean, there's always cycles in technology, right? Yeah, there's there's the next greatest thing, and then it's hyped up as it's going to change the world. And then we start to realize that it's not going to change the world, but it may provide some benefits. And things continue evolving in that way. So I would say that a lot of the legacy players, unfortunately, after being acquired over and over, they lose their ability to innovate and deliver. And many of the architectures of the legacy products can't deal with the vast amounts of data that we're generating today. So I would say that these legacy technologies are slowly going to be left behind. Granted, they're always going to be there because, as we know, legacy technologies often live forever, especially in the data center. But they're going to have a really hard time keeping up with all of the things the industry is doing right now. So many, many users are looking for newer tools. They realize that their existing solutions are not providing what they expect, and they're not keeping up with the pace of innovation in the rest of our industry. And that's why so many people are reconsidering their investments and in monitoring and observability. And I think we're going to see that for quite some time. So speaking of legacy vendors, they are barely keeping up with that. They, they can't innovate, they can't re-architect, they can't cope up with the change demands even from their customers. And more importantly, they, they can't get out of their own way to support by moving from supporting a classic legacy architecture to the new cloud-native architecture. I've, I've seen a lot of vendors struggle with that. Do you think they can move fast enough to adopt change and, and change quickly or market has moved on from them? I've seen lots of attempts at them to do this, but they'll typically do things like introduce a new user interface without fixing their data architecture, because these are things that are easier to fix and can provide the user with some benefit. But in reality, there's always going to be limitations and bottlenecks within their architecture. So I do think that there are many monitoring vendors today that will not keep pace with change and slowly they'll be less and less relevant unless they acquire to stay modern. And we haven't seen as much M&A in this market as we did in the past. So one potential outcome would be that we see more M&A occurring by these legacy vendors to try to stay current. And that's sort of the only way that they're going to be able to protect their install base. We'll see. It'll be interesting to watch it unfold. Yeah, that's a good point. The, the funny thing is, you know, some of them are trying to move from a, like a data center architecture to support other needs as well. But the, the way things are going between APM just came out like, what, 10 years ago, maybe? And then now the newer AI ops, and then there's a DEM. They, when you have a fixed architecture, when it can flexible to support one is a different set of mining tools or observability tools, and the other one is supporting a cloud-native initiative or things that come along with that. That could be a lot of work. For sure. One of the conception is that the AI platforms need to store vast amounts of data, that they have to have a huge data lake, huge data platform, process it. Do they really need to store tons and tons of petabytes of data or... Can they just store events and or summary data and, and then get insights out of them? So there's a lot of different approaches to this. I wouldn't say that the answer is cut and dry all the time. It becomes cost prohibitive to store everything. 
but at the same time, by not storing any of it and summarizing it, you lose the granularity to actually solve the problems that you intend to solve. So the way that I look at it is, let's say you shoot this amazing photo and then you upload it to Facebook and then you realize that you wanna blow it up and print it out and get it turned into a painting on your wall. The problem is once you lose the resolution of that beautiful photo that you took, you can no longer get it back. So this is the same thing with the data that we store. Some summarization is required, but the more summarization we do, the less resolution we have into the data. So I think there has to be a set of techniques and algorithms to filter the data that's likely not useful and try to keep the data that is useful. We built a lot of things at my current company that allow us to do this sophisticated filtering. And it really helps customers save money because they don't have to store everything, but you do want to store the things that are important. So it's a balancing act and it's very difficult to get it right. But you certainly can't store everything all the time. It becomes cost prohibitive. Uh, I mean, cost for storage as well as uh, processing and getting insights out could become difficult if, if, if it comes out of control, right? Yeah, yeah. On a related note, there's also two schools of thought on this as well. Do you think these kind of solutions, should they strictly process only structured data or somewhat semi-structured data like logs and stuff? Or do they even have to go after the completely unstructured data? Or is it just one of the tools and not? What, uh, what are your thoughts on it? All of the data is useful. The real importance is how you determine what the data means. So going back to an earlier topic that we talked about, one of the things that open telemetry attempts to do is standardize as to what the data is, how we call things, and standardize on APIs and various other aspects of collecting this data and sending it to tools. So this will make it much easier to understand what the data is, because right now every data collection technology, every backend analytics system has different schemas, different data types, different definitions for data, and it becomes really hard to support everything. In fact, you can't support everything. You often have to figure it out on the fly. And it's a really difficult problem today for AI ops platforms that are designed to literally consume everything because no one can do that effectively. Okay, but then if they were to do structured, unstructured, or a combination of data, events and logs from everywhere, and then tons and tons of data, it becomes very difficult and cost prohibitive to scale, isn't it? Especially if you are to do a hyperscale system. That's why the summarization of the data and applying algorithms to determining what you keep and what you discard is critical and how long you keep it. So obviously a big, big part of the cost is not only how much data you ingest, but how long you store it. So certain data that may not be useful or could be summarized for longer term trending or other analytics definitely should be, that should be applied to that data. Whereas other things where you need the granularity for longer periods of time, you would obviously store it for longer. So it's a pretty tricky balancing act to figure this out. And that's really where a lot of the cost comes into play with these types of platforms. The AI and ITFs podcast will be back shortly. 
I'm Pete Golden, the publisher of APM Digest, and I just want to take a break for a minute to talk to you about New Relic, the sponsor that brought you this podcast today. New Relic has done something a little out there. They reworked everything. See, they've been actually listening when people talk about blind spots or being stuck with a dozen different tools or getting hit with hidden costs. First, they went open source, making it so you can actually instrument what you need. Then they made it so you can monitor your whole stack in one place, including serverless. You can use telemetry data from any source for ridiculously cheap, and there's one UI with all your tools. And they completely changed their pricing so you can easily predict it. This is advantageous because who has time to troubleshoot their bill? Best of all, there's a free tier with one user and 100 gigabytes per month, totally free. So you can really make sure it works before you pay a dime. New Relic is definitely worth another look. Check it out at newrelic.com. Observability made simple. And now back to the podcast. Are these technologies and the tool set, the offerings, they are just set of features that already exist, isn't it? So is it old medicine in a new bottle? Well, I would say that there are two types of AI ops applications of AI ops technologies. One is in a general broad platform where you're trying to ingest very large, diverse sets of data and make sense of that data, which is mostly what we've been talking about today. But then there are very interesting techniques of using AI ops capabilities, meaning machine learning and AI techniques on data to solve specific problems. And I'll give you an example of this. In APM tools, they look deep into the transactions and they really analyze patterns within the transactions to surface potential problems and issues. And in the APM world, they, they may not be general AI ops platforms, but these techniques are being applied to analyzing transaction traces to really solve specific problems. So I do believe that a lot of AI ops technologies are in fact features but there are also AI ops platforms that try to generally collect data. And you've seen more and more vendors in this space, whether it's us or Datadog or New Relic, now start to build more general observability platforms. And these are following the pattern of AI ops where we're just trying to collect everything. We want all the logs, the traces, the metrics coming into one place where they can be analyzed centrally. And I do believe this is what users are going to want over time, but it comes with a lot of complexity as well because of the diversity of the data collection. So the answer is kind of both. And the other interesting thing I've seen recently is there are many people that have job titles now that have AI ops in them. And this is something that you're seeing more and more of because these initiatives are really important for digital businesses, and they do want to invest and get these technologies right. If you think the AI ops platforms are implementing some of the features that are available, whether it's APM or NPMD or DEM or, or even infrastructure monitoring tools or, or totally different BA and BI tools as well, wouldn't that become a little bit confusing for the enterprises? Where is the source of truth now for me? I mean, should I have to look at an APM to solve this issue or AI ops platform to solve this issue? Wouldn't that become confusing between the analysts and the teams and the operations guys? 
It goes back to a long debate in this industry, which is, do I go after a best of breed or a platform? And this is always a debate for a specialist, someone that's really deep into the network and all they deal with is network problems. They want a network tool because it's going to speak a different language, collect data differently, present data differently. And this is really useful for that specialist. But as we move to the cloud and we become generalists, meaning we have DevOps teams who write code, who run operations, who manage multiple clouds, they don't become specialists like we had in the past. They become generalists and they have to do a lot of different things. And this is where AI ops platforms make more sense because they're going to need to wear a lot of different hats and they're going to be good at a lot of different things but they're not going to be super specialized in just one aspect of technology like we used to have. So I think there's room for both types of tools, best of breed and generalist tools. And I think that's a trend that's gonna continue based on what I'm seeing in the industry today from the users. I kind of agree with you. And they also have a specific process in place saying that, you know, if this is the issue, where should I go? Who should be the source of truth versus I'm looking at a generalist, where do I get it? Because more tools and more process doesn't always mean the good thing for, for an enterprise, you know, could be confusing. Now that you mentioned about that observability, how does the whole concept of, I mean, obviously the used to be called monitoring and then some of that moved into cloud and added a few more things on it. It has become more of an observability now and also then the automation plays a huge part. How do they both relate to the overall AI ops topic? And, and also, is this any different than the past attempts of unification of monitoring and automation? I would say that this is always the aspirational piece of monitoring and continues to be the aspirational piece of observability. Although we've seen interesting things happening between observability and continuous delivery, where we're starting to see closed loop automation. So basically when a developer commits new code, it goes through a bunch of tests, it gets pushed automatically into production, and then observability is automatically used by the deployment system to verify that the production release was not detrimental and didn't cause problems. So we're starting to see more ties between automation and observability, but it hasn't really taken shape outside of some of these more sophisticated closed loop systems. So whether we start to solve some of the older problems or we just focus on the newer problems, it remains to be seen what's going to happen out there. But I certainly think the link between continuous delivery and observability is a very interesting trend and one that makes a lot of sense in terms of having the machines automate and verify the automation themselves. Is automation more like applying AI or is it becoming an integral part of the AI trend itself? The automation system makes a lot of decisions and it uses observability data to help drive those decisions. That's the pattern that I've seen most recently that's getting us closer to that point. I have not seen observability systems driving automation. Certainly, if you get alerted on something, you can kick off a script and correct it potentially. 
But to me, that's not really closed loop. That's more like detecting a problem and then throwing it over the fence to another tool, which is something that in monitoring we've done for a really long time. The other interesting areas is within incident management, whether you look at uh, PagerDuty or VictorOps or various other tools, they're also building some more ties into automation so that when an incident is detected, some automation and analytics can occur at that layer as well. So uh, there's definitely a lot of interesting approaches that I've seen to this type of problem recently, but no standard blueprint at this point. How come so much of the AOPS is in fact uh, applying ML to observability or to monitoring data? Yeah, going back to the history of APM rewinding 15 years at this point, pretty much, ML has been applied to monitoring data for a long time. Whether this is really simple statistical analysis, like looking at standard deviation of metrics, all the way to more advanced multivariate regression analysis and statistics. Most of what we've seen is really analyzing numbers and a rudimentary amount of analyzing unstructured or semi-structured data using things like NLP. Uh, natural language processing. So much of what we've seen in observability and monitoring in the past has really been machine learning and not so much AI, but hopefully that will change. I also kind of have an issue with AI in general because it doesn't have concrete definitions so much. Whereas with machine learning, we understand the things that the algorithms can do to help machines drive decisions. That makes more sense to me in general, and I think has more tangible applications in monitoring and observability. Okay. Let me ask you a somewhat of a technical question, especially when, when you have all the systems feeding into the AI's platforms, your APMs, your NPMDs, your DEMs, your infrastructure monitoring, ITOM, ITSM, the information is coming from everywhere. Is a diverse set of data all over the place. Is that a best recommendation that you have seen? Best way to train the models across the data set? First of all, is there enough data, I would assume, because you're getting data from everywhere. And obviously enough compute power used to be an issue, but probably when you train the models in a cloud location, then that may not be an issue. And inference doesn't require that much power anyway, so you could do it even the edge location. But is that like a best practice you have seen in the model creation and inferencing? So, I mean, vendors typically will create the models and they do this because they understand the structure and format of the data that's going to be coming into their tool. And with general purpose AI ops platforms, that starts to be more challenging. If you don't know what the data is and you don't know what the data that's coming in will look, you can't build a, a model that, that can handle that data effectively. So in order for these systems to work right, the right type of models need to be built and trained with the data necessary to get the insights expected. And so this is really the challenge that vendors have to deal with today. I do think that we will have more standardized models being created once we standardize the shape 
and the definition of the data, which is obviously one of the primary goals of, of the open telemetry project that's going on. So I think the future looks a lot better than the way it is today, where it's kind of the wild, wild west in terms of what the data actually means. Speaking of the machine learning algorithms, though, generally, almost any ML algorithm that's built into any of those products, I'm not talking about just AIOps, but generally about all of this other alerting, monitoring, observability platforms, they all look for anomalies since almost all of these products have these capabilities. Is that a reason that users do not take advantage of those features and be, be alerted of those problems automatically? Why, why do they have to look for an AIOps platform? Can they not just use that thing to get alerted? Anomaly detection has been around for a really long time. We're talking about 60 years or more at this point. The reason why anomaly detection is not always so accurate is because we don't typically have very defined patterns within the data today. So if the data is incredibly diverse and changes regularly, then you'll be flagged as anomalous all the time. Every time Black Friday comes around and sales happen and traffic spikes on your sites and your CPUs all start running hot, you're going to see anomalies being detected because they are anomalies. This is not a normal day. This is an abnormal day. And it's really hard to program this into systems because so many different things can cause changes. For example, this year, we've been dealing with the pandemic. All of the network patterns, traffic patterns, usage patterns, times of day are all different. If you had anomaly detection turned on in any of your tools, it would all be an anomaly. So it doesn't work. That's what it comes down to. And users soon realize this, that they're getting alerted all the time for things that are anomalies, but they're not problems. And so I think we really have to focus on problem detection and problem isolation and determining whether something is in fact an issue or not versus an anomaly. And this is the same thing that happens in security and they've spent a lot more time and money on anomaly detection than we have in the operational monitoring space. But I, I honestly think that they just don't work well and users end up getting too much fatigue and turning off alerting. And unfortunately, that is the state of, of the tools today and what users have to deal with. But they look awesome in PowerPoint. Uh, if I showed you the anomaly detection in our system, you would say, that's amazing. It's going to save me so much time. But as you start using it, you realize that there's a lot of false positives and that's the nature of anomaly detection. That's an excellent point. First of all, the systems were designed in, you know, I don't want to say old days, even the systems that were <laughs> designed about, uh, about a year ago or six months ago, that was, you know, thinking about a normal situation. Now with everybody working from home, yeah. almost everything, every traffic pattern, as you say, every usage pattern, everything is abnormal. So he was suggesting, you know, they are getting way too many alerts which leads to the alert fatigue by the IT operations guys because they are chasing everything, thinking it's, it's a real thing when it's a false positive. And, right. and, and the other related issue is also that, you know, when they just get alerts, when the bells go on, whistles go on everywhere without a suggested set of actions or a prescription or what need to be done, it's kind of useless. I mean, what's the point of just, you know, giving me alerts about everything without suggesting what need to be done, right? Right. For sure. Prescriptive is key. 
Yeah. So most enterprises are not thinking about it because everybody's drowning and they are trying to save their operations team by doing what they can. But in the longer process, when companies have started doing a proper AI ops implementations, you know, proper cloud ops combination, there are going to be new roles that will be created for the criteria, for the need, for the analyst, for the implementation roles. But I want to get your perspective. What are you seeing in the field? Yeah, so I mean, we've seen for quite some time that as organizations move to smaller DevOps teams, you still need what I'll call a platform team. And so this platform team creates shared technologies and shared services that the DevOps teams can choose to use or not use. And many of these AI ops projects or implementations tend to be more of a platform service. And it's really important to build and treat these platforms like a choice for the DevOps teams. They can go and implement something else, but there are advantages to using the platform versus forging your own path. And so I do think that platform teams are going to continue to be important. Looking at, in my opinion, the, the most high-performing organization out there when it comes to operating at scale is Google. And I really enjoy when their SREs, or as they call them, SREs, speak, because you hear about the way that they run operations and the way that they run platforms. And this type of organizational construct is really important in Google. And I think it will continue to be more and more prominent within traditional organizations as they try to implement reliability engineering culture. So hopefully it, it will continue and we'll see better platform implementations happening over time. Hey, John, thanks so much for that valuable information. Appreciate your coming on the show and discussing all this. Yeah, awesome, Andy. Thanks for having me on and always happy to speak to you and the wonderful audience uh, as well. So thanks again. So you heard from Jonah. You agree, disagree, or if you have an opinion, let me know. Let's discuss this further. Also, if you'd like to be on part of our podcast, let me know as well. Until next episode, so long and stay safe.